Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Yeah, so again, my name is Casey, and welcome to uh, Inside LA's Sunday Sit Long Beach. Um, the topic for today is progress on the spiritual path. I had a hard time with the topic, like the name. Um, how do we find progress when our path is all over the place? Um, how many of you were born into a specific tradition and had a very clear path set out for you and you're, you're still practicing that same path and tradition today? <laughs> Some people are. A lot of the world they're born into a certain culture, certain religion, tradition, and they're practicing that. Um, not me. Um, and I think that, well, actually the, the motivation for, for this talk, I don't know if many of you have seen this, but it came up on my Instagram feed. This illustration where it says other people's spiritual path. <laughs> Have you seen this one? Mm-hmm. And it says other people's spiritual path and it has somebody walking up this staircase. It's this very even, gradual staircase. Mm-hmm. And then beneath it, it says my spiritual path. And it's a whole bunch of squiggly lines, mm-hmm. like all over with somebody like shooting out the middle, you know? <laughs> it's just all over the place. So at first I thought, oh, that's funny. Because that's, I resonate with that. And then... I saw it a couple more times, and I thought, like in a weird way, I took offense to it. Mm. In that, in a, in a way, it was like that squiggly line path isn't valid. Mm. There's some like sense of doubt. Like if my path is all over the place, there's a sense of doubt. And doubt, as we know, is the strongest hindrance. Right? Out of the five hindrances, doubt is the worst. So if we think that in any way our path is subpar because it's all over the place, there's, there's an introduction of doubt, like, oh, I'm kind of just all over here, over here, you know, all of this stuff. So I thought it would be really nice to kind of look at what does this mean? Like, what's a path even mean? And I would like to look at it as there's only one path. That's it. And we're all on a perfect path. <laughs> all of our paths are perfect. And, they, and I think, I really, I think this is absolutely true. Like your path, whatever it's been up to this point, it's absolutely perfect. And it's 100% valid. So I took from a few different paths. <laughs> Some what I would believe to be the core, like what's the very, very basis, very core teachings, and see how we could individually look and see how all along our path, we've been doing these things. And they might look a little different, they might come from here, they might come from there, but actually, 
we're just like the we're going up the, the, the staircase, you know, all of us. I forgot I wanted to think whoever's phone went off. Whose phone went off? Mine. That was awesome. And I am so yeah. sorry. That was my favorite part of the meditation. Right back here. Right. Yeah, that's what I always think. I love the coffers and the late people coming. Like in like if you sit like in a retreat or you know for long long meditations or something. And it's that thing that brings you back. For a moment we're all together. Like as soon as that that phone rang in that moment, we're all together. We're all here. Everyone came back from wandering crazy monkey mind, and then we're all here. And then whatever happened after that, like judgment or, or yay or whatever, whatever it came. But, and then I, then some skateboarder out here, sounded like he ate it to me. I was like, someone ate it outside. But I didn't hear any grunts or anything, but I was like, okay, that's another one. So... Um, I think it's so interesting to me that the cars um, driving by sound so much to me like waves. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. They're consistent enough. It was interesting because uh, Jocelyn and I did a podcast upstairs. There's a recording studio right upstairs. Uh, Mike is a musician. He he, he makes um, albums for children, and uh, and he has a recording studio. And he says that. You know, some of the windows he keeps open because exactly for that reason that the cars outside sound like waves. When you record it, it sounds like there's waves in the background. So it's really interesting that you, that you say that. So um, before I kind of get into more of the, the specifics here, just say one last thing about this doubt. The opposite of doubt would be this confidence, right? And in the path, we need this 100% confidence and 100% humility, right, to, to move into it. So how do we get some confidence? So the very basis, let's say, um, if we look at Tibetan Buddhism or Buddhism, the three defilements or the three poisons, attachment, aversion, and ignorance. So what is it that we're trying to, quote-unquote, get rid of, right? So this is the very basis of, what are we on, you know, the path for? Uh, to relieve ourselves from suffering, and the sufferings, the sufferings bubble up in the form very, very broadly, attachment, aversion, and ignorance. So attachment's easy, right? Attachment, desire, craving, right? What's aversion? <coughs> Some other words for aversion. Don't want My brother dislike. Dislike. Who said what? My brother, he said. My brother. That's very specific. <laughs> right? Attachment, aversion. So craving, desire. I want this. Aversion. I don't want that. Right? So this is like the basis of duality. Where we're fighting for what we want. Right? We're pushing away what we don't. But actually what we want, even if we got it, it's impermanent. Right? So it's fleeting. So even if we got what we want all the time, it's slipping through our fingers even as we taste it. And it only brings up upon what? Let's say if we get what you want. Attachment. Fear. Hope, fear, exactly. Someone said more attachment, right? You have a great experience, what do you want? Another great experience, so craving, more craving, right? And then ignorance. Delusion. 
So ignorance here is not like academic ignorance, right? But it's ignorance. Uh, what's uh, what's another way to say what type of what is this ignorance saying? False fulfillment. False fulfillment. Yeah, exactly. It's like this ignorance is ignorance to actually what creates sustainable happiness, right? Because we we think it's over here, so we keep grabbing what over here, and then it's fleeting, right? So it's ignorance to what brings us sustainable happiness. And what's another view of this ignorance in this way? Denial. Denial? Yeah. It, it, it's, um, I would say it's a den denial of how things really are. Mm -hmm. Right? So even though we see things like, like life is slapping us about the head <laughs> all the time, with exactly how it is, we're in ignorance of it. Right? So this ignorance in this way is not the inability to see things as they are. This is ignorance. We're not seeing it as it is. We're seeing our story, our conceptual imputation on top of as it is. So it's showing us just exactly this. But then we have an interpretation. We can go back to the phone ringing, right? So the phone rang. Now, all of our interpretation of that was different. What was really happening? A vibration of energy. This you know, sound is this energy vibration was happening. Yet the conceptual mind was different for everybody. Like what, how we viewed that was different. You know? Especially the phone, like your phone, it was ringing. So... She was into action. So, you know, we all interpreted it different ways. Yeah. So ignorance is the inability to see things as they are. If we can't see things as they are, this is how suffering arises. So this is the what. Like, what are we doing? Getting... Ridding causes of suffering. Ridding causes of suffering. Perfect. This attachment, aversion, and ignorance, right? So the how... How are we doing this? So we have the three major aspects of the how, the ground, the path, and the fruition. And again, I'm taking this one from Buddhism, but this is the same, right? The ground, the path, fruition. fruition. The ground is as things are. So the ground, let's say in Buddhist, Buddhism, the very ground of the practice is the fusion of emptiness and compassion. This is the ground. So this is the very basis of where we're heading. Right? So this would be the same in the Eightfold Path as right view. Right? And then I'm going to maybe read something a little bit about... Sorry, I thought I had it. Oh, maybe I don't. The ground means realizing the indivisibility of emptiness and clarity, ascertaining the relative and ultimate truth. The path evolves from the ground. The path is a unity of compassion and superior knowledge of emptiness. Now again, some traditions like Buddha will say emptiness. Christ would say kingdom of heaven. Same ground. They recognize, recognize God. Um, it, it obviously different traditions are going to say are going to verbalize this ground in different ways. So then the paths, 
This is the path, the actual thing that we're going to do. I'm going to take this for a little bit from Hinduism because I really love the way that they laid that out. And then the fruit is obviously the fruition of the practice, right? So we have the defilements and what we're getting rid of, these causes of suffering. Then we have the ground, the path, the fruit, exactly what we're going to search for, how we're going to search for it, and the fruition of that. And so these next ones, the actual path, and you could see where does your heart, mind resonate with these different aspects and see where your paths kind of fit in. So I've always enjoyed the Hindu schools. I think that all the world paths fall into these anyway. And if you look at Christianity or Buddhism, you know, Hinduism itself, you'll see these different sects all the time show up in different ways. So, um, the first school is karma, which means action. So this is the path of service. You know, when at the retreat centers, we'd always have the karma yogis. Um, you didn't necessarily want to be a karma yogi because that meant you were doing dishes and, you know, you were doing all that cleaning of the bathrooms and all that stuff. Uh, but of course, that's a joke. Like you, you, you did want to be there. Because they'd always say that the, the first, Norman Paulson, the first center that I lived at, he'd always say the person, whoever cleans the toilet will be enlightened first, you know, so. But when we're going through the chores, the community chores, you know, that would be his funny way to say who's going to choose to clean the bathrooms. Because he's like, you're going to get enlightened first. So everyone would be like, I want to clean the bathrooms. Um, but, but of course, this is a very real path. The path of service is an incredibly beautiful path. And you will also see with all of these paths that they all intertwine, right? They're, this is a combination of, of them. Uh, the next one is bhakti. What's bhakti? We just had bhakti fest, right? Devotion. Devotion. Yeah, devotion, love, and devotion. How many of you think love and devotion is a capable path? Who didn't raise their hands? <laughs> Was that again? Self-love? Absolutely, yeah, self-love. I think this whole path is self-love. If we have self-love, we're done. Right? Say, if you, and I've mentioned this before, but if you could take away a suffering thought, think of somebody you love, something you love, it could be an animal, would you take away if you could, every single one of their suffering thoughts, would you? Of course. Right? If you, could, if you could, you would take away all of their suffering thoughts. Yeah? So in meditation, we're practicing non-grasping mind to not following a suffering thought. Yeah? Mm-hmm. We all have the capability to not follow a suffering thought. Agreed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed? At least we have a technique to do it and we can go gradually on to more and more suffering thoughts. So therefore, you would, if you could, to someone that you love, or being that you love, take away every single one of their suffering thoughts. Yet, we, for ourselves, follow and actually cultivate suffering thoughts. 
right? Mm -hmm. All day long. Mm -hmm. We enhance suffering thoughts. Mm -hmm. Not only do we practice non-grasping, but we practice enhancing the suffering thoughts. So when we grow in this meditation, we grow in this wisdom mind, say, hey, it's not so wise when I, when I follow the suffering thought, but we also grow in our capacity to love ourselves. Right? So this compassion and wisdom are simultaneously growing. And with it, along with it, is our capacity to be extremely motivated to let that thought go. Right? Along with the capacity to do that, because our non-grasping mind is becoming stronger. So it's innately just those thoughts are not as strong and sticky. And this is the, the blending of that wisdom and compassion. Right? The more compassion we have, the less sticky the thoughts are. And this wisdom, same thing. So the next one is Raja Yoga. This is very akin. So this path is very akin to the whole Buddhist path. It, if you look at the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, it's very, very similar. So Raja Yoga is looking at ethics, doing pranayama exercises, like energy body work. And they're focusing on concentration and meditation, also called the royal path, right? popularized by Patanjali. Like he or kind of organized that path. So this is, if you're looking at like a, a classic meditation path, Raja Yoga, this would be the classic meditation path. So you have the, the service path, you have the love path, you have a classic meditation path. The next one is... What I like very akin to the Aglupa school in Tibetan Buddhism, the intellectual or knowledge path. This is the jhana path. Um, this also houses the non-dual schools. Um, so some people more intellectual um, and more experiential, just resting with the mind. Um, yeah. So those are the, those are the four major schools. Uh, how many of you resonated with most of those? Mm. Mm. Most of them, yeah. So if we, if we look upon them, would you say that no matter what you have been doing the whole time, have fit into one of these schools? Yeah, kind of. What's that again? Oh. <laughs> I mean, I do think there's something about going into something consciously to yes. develop it or to deepen it and to, to be in it. So though we could maybe go through all four of those at different times, just being who we are, yes. doesn't necessarily mean we're conscious, consciously going to practice. Right, right. Right? Yes, and, and this goes to, goes to the point of there's obviously parts of our pa a practice and time of our practice that are much more conscious. Sure. But it's also a point that there's these unconscious learning that we're, that we're getting by just by living because we, we can't throw that out. You know, we can't throw out this unconscious like life experience as not part of our path. It's kind of like in, in, in meditation, for most of us, we're actually on the object and conscious 
a very small amount of the time. So let's say, let's break down like a meditation session. So it's half an hour that we sat together, yeah? So we're sitting for half an hour, and your mind's wandering. How many minds, how many people had wandering minds? Yeah? Just a little bit, right? No, I, a lot bit, yeah? So most of the time, wandering mind. And then you came back to here, only when the phone rang. <laughs> no, but you came back. So you're awake. Right? You're a Buddha. In that moment, you're awakened. Yeah? You experience Bodhi, awakened mind for that moment. And then that lasted maybe a few seconds. The mind wandered again. Mindfulness caught it again, and you woke up again. This is this is basic meditation. This is what we do in every single meditation. But all of that is the meditation practice. Right? Waking up, getting lost returning, staying, all of it's the meditation practice, right? Not just the, you wouldn't say, oh, I meditated just for a few seconds, just because I was only awake for a few seconds, right? I meditated the whole time. So our spiritual practice is like that. Some people say, oh, I'm not really like on the path right now. Like our path kind of wanders, like our meditations will wander, our consistency will wander, right? And then we'll come back. We'll meditate for a week or a month, a year or two, consistently. And it will kind of wander. But in that wandering, it's not to say that there's nothing mm -hmm. valuable there. I think it's a very kind of esoteric, kind of a deep thing. But the same thing, the same thing that gets us to come back out of nowhere is the same thing that allows us to wander away. <laughs> you know, because... It's, it's a happening, right? We don't even know why, why are we mindful. What part, of, what part of it, what part of it gets us to go back to the object? Why does mindfulness arise? It's much like thinking, like, where do my thoughts come from? Why do they arise in that moment? Or my favorite part is when did they become mine? <laughs> my favorite part is a thought will come from absolutely nowhere it'll arise for no apparent reason and somewhere along the way drifting through our infinite consciousness and awareness on its, on its way out into never never land wherever it's going to go somewhere along the way we grab it and say mine and if this happens enough we can create a persona about it and say me even more odd <laughs> right and then we get depressed that we're a me that we don't like <laughs> yeah we have to unravel all of that you know so I think you know, I think you're entirely right and I, I think this is the confidence though that I would like you know to build within myself and and for all of us is that that there's no such thing as being off the path, you know. Um, it's going way back. Anyone know Bob Frizzle? Like he wrote a book called "Nothing in This Book Is True," but it's exactly how things are. It's <laughs> um, kind of a buddy of mine. I used to go sit with him quite a bit. Got to know him, but but you know, and he, I think he got this from somebody else, and now it's like on T-shirts and stuff. But you know, we're we're, we're human beings having 
Look, we're, we're, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And I truly, truly believe that. I believe that there's, that this, we're innately are the path. We are the path. And there's no way to get off of it, right? And we're just having this, this human experience. And to, to really acknowledge this, to acknowledge our Buddha nature, that in every single moment, it's entirely here. And that our path is perfect. And it's, it's unraveling exactly how it should be. And so I bring these up to hopefully maybe tie in and I'm going to put this in the newsletter and whatnot, so you don't even remember these. But, but kind of tie in these different aspects of your life, like bhakti, right? So love and devotion. We all have, um, we, we mentioned, think of somebody you love in your life, right? If you're loving something, if you're, if you're hugging a, a, dear fr- a dear friend, if you're petting your cat, uh, if you're making dinner for yourself, for a loved one, this is a spiritual practice. This is bhakti. This is love. Right? And so we're going to kind of go into the, the last little piece of this is the three aspects of how do we practice the path? Hearing, contem- uh, contemplating, and meditation. Right? So we're hearing teachings. Right? So you're reading how many people um, listen to talks on Audible or whatever. Right, listen to talks, obviously come talks. Yeah. How many people have ever read a spiritual book? Yeah. So he- so hearing. So we all we'll get, we're good at this part, right? And then the second piece is contemplating. So let's say if you if you heard the wisdom and then you walked out of the room and never thought about it again, and never bounced it upon your comparing, discerning mind, never never contemplated how it fit into the fabric of your being, right? And how it integrated into your life. That wouldn't do much help, right? So the second piece, no matter what path we're on, contemplation. The second piece. So how many of you contemplate once you hear a teaching? How many do this incessantly without stopping? You're like, shut up, mind. It's too much information. So again, we do this innately. Like, we're drawn to things that... that have proven for others to find happiness, we're drawn to those things. So we're automatically drawn to the teachings, right? Automatically. So second thing, contemplation. Yeah? The third one takes a lot of love, right? The third one is, I really, really, really need to end this suffering. Yeah? We could even... We can make it more altruistic as well. Like for myself, and therefore, for all beings. And this is the third one. So how many of you meditate? Even a little bit. You all do, because you just meditated half an hour. So so we all do this as well. So I think it's very, very simple. And I think that, of course, with all of this, we have to... We have to choose the middle path that we have to practice 100% like, like we have to. <laughs> and then we have to have 100% confidence that we already are what we're seeking. And to do those both 100%. You know, it's like this 100% confidence, 100% humility. Right, Suzuki Roshi would say, 
You're perfect just the way that you are. And what? Yeah. You, need more. you have work to do. <laughs> right? And these are the two truths. This is relative and ultimate truth. You know? Oh, did you raise your hand? I did. Oh, yeah. yeah um, well, I was just sort of like, without thinking about it in exactly the way you did, I haven't the experience of like dragging things onto the path, you know? So like I'm using the path of service yes. to deal with my irritation that I, the aversion I have to cleaning up after other people. Yes. You know, so like I'll see, I'll get that trigger like, oh, this is a mess. Then I'm like, okay, this is how I'm serving. Yes. I am like so to just try to elevate it, you know, to kind of like I'm going to serve by cleaning this up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of not have this like do this aversion dance and judgment and all this kind of stuff. It's like this is how I'm serving. I'm going to clean it. That's exactly my whole talk right there. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And then have confidence that 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 is super valid, and you know and and how do we kind of see progress progress is kind of a weird thing because this is a goalless goal you know but i like to check in like every 10 years you know like it's a good check-in am i progressing um so these are obvious you know they say are you progressing are you are you loving more are you are you more kind this is the the easiest way are we suffering less you know, um, I found this is a very, I mean, because how do we judge this, this, um, this path? I found myself suffering less um, at work at a, a very ego-filled, filled, and it was in a positive way, but it was a very attachy kind of a, a work meeting. And I felt myself um, kind of hanging out and don't know mind. And I was very calm. And I noticed that there was a lot of people who wanted their thing done and I just noticed myself just taking a back seat and I thought this I'm, I'm suffering less right now because there was a time in my life I would be very needy right now with what I wanted um, and I still am in a, in a lot of ways but I just noticed in this one situation I'm not as needy and I felt more at ease in my being and I thought oh Here's, here's a little sign, a little thing. And, and this is a big thing. Right? It's a little bit of less suffering. So it's really nice. Yes? Um, I hear a lot of um, things like that. Just love yourself, have confidence. Yes. Like that. But to me, are, those are more action-type things. I mean, it's, a, it's more of a, like a muscle-type that you're, that you're practicing. Yes. To do that with, it's not just you have confidence or you don't. Right. You love yourself or you don't, right? Does that make sense? I'm hearing kind of two different things there, but as far as as far as your cultivation, like you're you're practicing something like an action. Yeah. It absolutely is an action, until it's not. Um, Hmm. So they say, in in a relative truth. We need action, so we call this, you know, relative bodhicitta. For example, this is a very common relative bodhicitta and an ultimate bodhicitta. So bodhicitta, this this wish to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings, is this very service, generous type of um, service uh, oriented feeling. 
So we, on a relative level, we cultivate this day in and day out until we have a realization that that's who we are, right? So um, it is like this, and, we, and we're building the foundation for another moment of loving kindness or another, lo uh, another moment of mindfulness by this moment of mindfulness. So I, I said, you know, wh how, why does mindfulness arise? Well, mindfulness does arise because of your previous mindful moment. Right? And even neuroscientists, neuroscientists figuring this out, like the more angry that we get, those neural nets and neural pathways are building. And so a moment of anger sets the foundation for another moment of anger. So it is cultivated until it's not. What I think is interesting with meditation is that we could all sit for a week and go on, go on retreat, uh, and we sit for a week, and we practice non-grasping mind, and then we do sharesies at the end. And what do we find time and time again? Grasping once we leave the retreat. <laughs> grasping what? <laughs> grasping what? That's there is a lot of grasping when we leave the retreat. The shares, however, are so beautiful. It's like we sit there and do nothing, and the shares are so fantastic that by just doing nothing, automatically this loving kindness arises innately, innately within us. Eventually, a lot of crap arises too, and a lot of anger and frustration and, and all this stuff. But I, I, what I find is most fascinating in silent retreat is how much people connect with the person next to them without ever talking to them, or if we're practicing custody of the eyes, never looking at them, <laughs> you know, like eye to eye, not knowing anything about the background, what they do for work, nothing like this. And they're always like, you are so awesome. You supported me. <laughs> I love you. You're so rad. And there's this really, really deep connection. And, and I think this, this alludes to like our, our innateness, you know, our innate goodness. When we let everything, let everything be, let everything go. What's that? Mm. <laughs> well, mm, let's see. So this isn't thought out, but okay. So I saw Michael Moore's movie last night, mm. and I'm trying to like take all of this, mm -hmm. what we're learning, what we're doing, and applying it in the real world, and how to be, you know, and how to move, and mm -hmm. and I mean, I understand this whole thing about how we create our suffering and how we can fuel our own suffering and thoughts mm -hmm. and go there and this monkey mess mind and mm -hmm. all that and I also get that where we put our energy is what grows you know and so I, I have that, those experiences all the time mm -hmm. um, and this whole thing about loving kindness and innately like beyond the human being physical body you know this uh, essence the spiritual essence of who we are mm -hmm. you know this the spaciousness of this just innate loving kindness lives there you mm -hmm. know it's just it's there mm -hmm. and um but where i start getting kind of confused or 
you know, like this idea about shifting our thought to like when you're doing service, and and so you're not suffering. You say, okay, I'm I, I'm choosing this. I'm doing service, and that's beautiful because then there's not the suffering. Is but there's also this thing around authenticity and enduring. You know, like if you're in a, 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 a prison or something and all you have is bread, you know, if you are going to want a full good meal every day, but mm -hmm. all you have is that and, and you just keep thinking about the good meal, you're going to suffer. Mm -hmm. But do you really, I mean, where is where does the rubber really meet the ground? Because a lot of this, oh, I know I'm going all over the place, you guys, I'm sorry, but mm -hmm. like where... Where is it where, you know, this becomes passivity mm -hmm. versus action mm -hmm. in a uh, informed way, not through maybe even thinking or thought or opinion, but just in essence, like, you know, you see a, a child being abused in your path. And it's not about thinking, oh, I think I'll go help that kid. You just take action and you do that. Mm -hmm. And that's where I want my actions to come from. Mm -hmm. I want it to be innate like that, not from some sort of opinion or mm -hmm. right or wrong thinking. Mm -hmm. And and so some of this practice around, I don't know, it just kind of strikes like where, it's always my question, isn't it? It's my question always. <laughs> I, I still don't have it answered. It's like, I just don't know how to take real action without becoming what it is I dislike. You know, and so when you're confronted, like, like going back to this film, Roger or what's that, Michael? He he was kind of pointing at the Democratic Party around us on a certain level. Those people who affiliate with that, there's this passivity and the lack of backbone, where this other group supposedly has it, and in order to meet it, you have to have that same sort of. And I'm like, I, I, I that's where I'm like. Like, I, mm -hmm. I don't want to become what I hate, mm -hmm. but I also don't want to be passive mm -hmm. and delusional, like, oh, I'm going to do this service, when really they need to, like, clean up their own fucking mess. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I don't want to endure falsely if somebody, something else has to happen with accountability and responsibility yeah. and so, authenticity. So Does what we're looking at, yeah, that's, yeah. it's, um... <laughs> Passionate non-attachment, and this is the this is the, the fusion of wisdom and compassion. Too much compassion, we get attached, which you don't want. This right. is attachment that leads to anger. Yes. Right. That's too much compassion, but not enough wisdom. Too much wisdom, and you get passive, and which yeah. you don't want. Right. right? So it's a, it's a fusion of compassion and wisdom. These are the two things that we need. So this is passionate non-attachment. You absolutely have to act all the time in ways that are that are compassionate with the wisdom that it's empty inherently empty from its own side this is the wisdom aspect the relative and ultimate truth and how these two fuse they fuse in meditation when we actually see both of them fusing and, and naturally arising as who we are right we see the empty nature of things so the real fusion of this act is this ultimate bodhicitta right when you're actually acting out of service because we're all connected, right? You're helping yourself. You have this immense amount of self-love and you see yourself suffering. 
So then you act, but then you also see yourself free. Right? So naturally free, yet suffering. So it's like a child, right? You know that the child is seen, is uh, scared of the dark. But you know there's nothing to be scared of. Do you still help the child? Do you still turn on the lights? Absolutely. Do you know there's nothing to be scared of? Absolutely. So you're acting out of this place, not out of attachment, because you know there's nothing to fear. Mm -hmm. And you know the lights are going to get turned on anyway. Right? The child's going to be fine in a few moments anyway. Do you still act? Absolutely. But not out of this grasping and attachment. Mm -hmm. Right? Thank you. No problem. Shannon. Well, I was just—I was going to ask you for an example. Kind of, I was going to ask you for an example, um, and you just gave an example, but it's, it's, I'm having a hard time connecting it to like what she's saying. Like, what could you think of an example that would be more in the realm of um, adult stuff and politics and stuff? <laughs> 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 Yeah, really, really, really. I, I like that too. I, I think, for instance, <laughs> sure. if you look at the life of Thich Nhat Hanh, there was somebody who, uh, you know, was an activist against the war in Vietnam who suffered tremendously yeah. by being excommunicated from his country and, and still kept acting, but you have to act dispassionately and, and with love. And there are people working today, like on the ground, that are taking a different path, like aren't going at this side that is acting so reprehensibly in the same manner of the fear. Mm -hmm. They're uh, uh, going for the positive. Now, I don't know if they're going to win or not, but they're certainly making inroads, like mm -hmm. Beto O'Rourke and you know, a lot of people like that. Mm -hmm. um, I have a cousin who's running in Texas and very positive and appealing to people's good nature mm -hmm. yeah. and trying to find common ground. So That's there's a different way to yeah, approach right. that, not like, oh. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you look thank at you. Martin Luther King, if you look at Gandhi, if you look at Mother Teresa, all these beings, um, all these beings, massive action. Gandhi took massive action, and yet all passively. That took not home. Beautiful example. Dalai Lama, he's still taking action. Massive action. Does Dal Dalai Lama look stressed out? <laughs> but he should be. He was torn away from his country. His friends have been killed in his name, like for for decades. They still continue to, but. But, but he has this really look, great. But lady. this is really powerful what she said. It helps yeah. me. I mean, you helped me too. Oh, yeah. No, 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 seriously. Only I can help. No attachment there. No attachment. It is to focus. That thing about turning on the light also helps because, you know, no matter, you know, if you come into a room and the lights aren't on, it's dark, you know, you turn so on the light. light, what happens, the dark dissipates. It doesn't mean it's not there, as soon as the lights go off, it's there, so it's not about being Pollyanna. I definitely have a big shadow in me, and I need to own that, you know, and, but it is helpful for me to remember, and that's what I want, is I, I don't want to act out of this anger like I used to act, it almost killed me years ago. It's exhausting. It is exhausting, but I do want to act, and I do want to act out of love and, and like you said, focusing on, on the goodness and the lightness, that's where there is power. So yeah. thank you for the reminding. Thank yeah. you. And you also don't have to talk to all of the people. You can talk to people who don't or sleep. 
Say that again. What? You don't have to. I mean, this is just my personal yeah. opinion. You don't have to seek out the angriest people. There's a lot of people that are just generally disenfranchised and just don't believe that they can do anything. Right. And if all of those people actually believed they could do something, the angry people wouldn't have. Yeah. 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 Did you have something? Yeah. Oh no, that was so beautifully said. Yeah. But for me, the key is my husband and I have been canvassing at the Bulletin for a candidate who is now as a Democrat. And uh, to me, the key is not being attached. And when I knock on the door, mm-hmm. you know, if they're angry or upset, it's okay. Yeah. That, that letting go of the outcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Because you do really have to get to that That's space. Right of non-attachment for that to actually work, like it has to be genuine. And it's an ongoing yes. process. process. Yeah. Thank you. And Margaret had something in mind. So there's a word that we've stuck up on, but we haven't exactly said yet. Equanimity. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that? Equanimity. Equanimity into it. So go support that cause you believe in. Go canvas. Go march. Donate your time, your money, whatever you decide to do. But try to stop at the point where you're angry at the other side. And to work to develop that compassion and understanding that they're in a place or whatever it is they believe in, they believe the same way you do. So if we can get to that place of equanimity where you Mm -hmm. go, do your best that you can for this thing that you believe in, Know that you're doing what you can do, and then walk away. That's mm-hmm. part, I think, why we call it the middle path. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. I, I really uh, sympathize with what Paula was saying. You know, the, um, the movie, Michael Moore interviewed Steve Bannon about the movie. He was like, well, what are, you know, why are we keep losing this, you know, this, this fight? And he said, well, yeah. the Democrats are having a pillow fight. And the Republicans are going for head wounds. You know, he said that. Yeah. And that really, really huh. made a big uh, impact on Michael Moore, apparently, when he was making this movie. You know, I don't want to go for the head wound. It's very, <laughs> it's very difficult not to get, to yeah. get very passionate about this mm-hmm. type of stuff. And yeah, I agree. It's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Oh, the hands try to well, be good. Didn't Mark. we have an election about 2008 when people were so disillusioned about things, they, they made a commitment to themselves and voted for this person called Obama, and we pulled something off, where people moved beyond their disillusion, ah, screw it, and just quit. So it's, the, the ability to rekindle that is there. It just have to get to recognize it, or we have to recognize it, sort of, hey, I'm not going to be disillusioned by all this. I'm not going to own all this negativity. I'm going to sort of uh, leave this possible, more positive way and go that way. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I, I was just thinking that, you know, I think a lot of spiritual tradition and religious training, um, part of the message is to be, you know, good, um, you know, to be compassionate, to be loving. And I think that sometimes equates with passivity, like, you know, if I'm, if I'm really spiritual, then I'm like, go pathetic, right? Um, but um, the, the opposite of that, or the, the, 
potential opposite is that fierceness, not the fierceness in terms of like literally chopping somebody's head off, but but having a strong belief, right, in um, like not having doubt, right? Having a strong belief in um, in acting in this realm, right? It's not it's that same confidence, yeah. Yeah, that same confidence that they're that that it's a spiritual and human experience and that there are times that we are called to act mm -hmm. and that that's that that's not necessarily a bad thing right, right. That that's not not spiritual you know mm -hmm. that, that doesn't mean you're not spiritual that right. means you're you're kind of embodying whatever level of spirituality you have hopefully in in addressing what's happening in relative reality. Mm -hmm. right. Absolutely. But it's but there's conflict there. You know, it's like, hmm, is that really spiritual? And it's like, well, I'm not going to be that spiritual, you know, when I when I take action. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to be however spiritual I am at the moment. Mm -hmm. Right. So it may not yeah. be pure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, but, yeah, the intention should be to the best of our right. ability. And then sometimes that intention can be very wrathful in exhibiting. Um, just like a parent shows great love by spanking their children, right? Or saying children running across the street, very, very wrathful, right? Don't run across the street. Um, so, but the intention behind that, our intention should be as pure as we possibly can, that we're doing this for, for, for good reason. Bob and then go here. Did you have something, Bob? I was just going to say, like, I think um, for me and just a lot of people I talk to when we talk about spirituality and we talk about a lot of this, I think sometimes it's what our uh, assumption is or what we view it as. Like, uh, it's spiritual and it's, in, it's enlightening and it's in the desert and it's beautiful. And it's <laughs> we're, we're, in, we're in some, like, real times right now where we're having to decipher this for ourselves and we can all sit in this group but we probably have circumstances in life that maybe uh, are going to be very new and um, just you're going to have to act with your best intention and it's it's not going to be something written in a book or anything you're going to have to know where your heart is at and, and kind of act you know um, I don't know it's, it's very uh, confusing but I do think there's a lot going on politically and things like that where, where we do have to stand up and have a backbone and stand up for what is right because if we don't there is going to be some bad things or you can label them however you want but I do think we have to stand up because being spiritual isn't just sitting by and watching either you know like Sharon uh, Sharon Salzberg in her book. I always say Osborne, I'm sorry. <laughs> in her book she talks about um, you know, she's on a she's on a rickshaw or something and somebody tried to kidnap her and she asked her teacher, What do I do? And he's like, Well you should have just smashed him over the head with the yeah. most compassion. <laughs> <laughs> These times happen. These times happen. And so I think just with everybody, just know I think that's also like a spiritual warrior. Like have faith and have confidence and and have uh, confidence in your love and your compassion and um, just that and I just want to say that because we're in some times that are crazy and the answers aren't going to be here and it's going to be so new that you you're going to be the person to literally react and create that answer so I think that's on all of us as well thank you thank you
Okay, just quickly, for me, I just feel like it's, we have a lot of tools that we can choose from, right? And so my question I ask myself is what's the right tool for this? And, you know, sometimes fire is the right tool, but like I'm finding as I move along my own path, water is more a tool that I'm using now. And it's an extremely powerful force. I mean, water created the Grand Canyon to create amazing change it's just not the same as fire you know and even in that sort of like very narrow household example of like using water because that's what services to me using water to say like i'm not going to make anybody wrong i'm just going to serve and and do this thing this task Mm -hmm. what my experience is that it lifts other people Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. if i'm obviously putting a lot of effort to keep the kitchen clean then it attracts people Mm. to participate Mm. in keeping the kitchen clean without me saying anything because the it's that water is lifting everybody's experience just by me acting from a a service place Uh in my own consciousness without lecturing or blaming right right you know? and i just feel like that's kind of how water and I, and I practice it on social media like i i am zero snark on social media no matter what and sometimes i go to controversial topics and practice making comments that are loving firm clear but no snark no disrespect because that's ultimately in these political situations if we kind of come or i'll speak for myself if i come from a place where i think your position is stupid, immoral, um, fill in the blanks. How can I find common ground with that person? How can I invite them to anything if I'm disrespecting them? Mm-hmm. So I just I try to find like the most, like you really believe that what your <coughs> approach is gonna get you what you feel like you need and you mm-hmm. believe that sincerely and I don't think you are actively trying to hurt anybody. So to just kind of come from that place, like we both want the good thing to happen. Like that's so true. And to just meet people at wherever place I can find of that connection creates the most opportunity for me to influence them. Mm -hmm. Thank you. What do we have here? I'm I'm just, um, I just want to say you have such truth in you. It's so profound. And when you drop to your passion and your knowing, all good. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I am currently spending a lot of time with my mother who's an arch Trump supporter and (laughs) arch like Fox News 24-7. And it's really like assaults my well-being just to be in the house. Um, but I, instead of trying to convince her of anything or even approach the subject, I just steered to gardening, <laughs> which we both enjoy, <laughs> and my pet, you know, which we also both love, and. I can enjoy for the first time in my adult life because there were years that I did not speak to her because I, as a career, was doing the opposite of what she was doing. And so we came to a lot of harsh, very um, 
you know, intentionally destructive things that we said to each other many, many times. And um, now I'm, I'm there and I really do want to like rescue some semblance of a relationship and try to, you know, connect with her in some way. And the only way that I've found that I can do it is just to set it aside because I don't believe from the things that she said that she does want the same thing as me or mm -hmm. that she shares my values mm -hmm. or that <clears throat> you know if she gets what she wants it'll all be okay or you know any mm -hmm. of those things <clears throat> so I, I do I struggle a lot because I do have contempt mostly for the fact that I know that she I feel and I know her obviously that she's an intelligent person and she's just so sucked in and like just listens to the echo chamber like 24 7 and so obviously your environment is going to influence you right and right. so i can have compassion for her in that sense but um just the <coughs> hateful things that she spews I, I just can't so we've come to that agreement to just not talk about it and I'm grateful because now I can have a relationship with her like on a personal level and be like I respect and I love her as a mother but not as a voter <laughs> and that's okay thank you I would just you know make a comment about you know I've watched Fox News and heard people you know talking um, you know about and Trump talking, whatever, and the thing that I always that I always see in them, and I, it's so palpable, is their suffering. They, these people, are really mm -hmm. suffering. They are so unhappy. They are. It's just exudes, you know. And that's, and and I don't know if there's some way we can somehow become more compassionate about their suffering and maybe try to figure out why they're so angry and suffering and and maybe that's the connection, you know, mm -hmm. is, is finding that out. Yeah. Being more compassionate. Thank you for all your voices. Um, this is really where the work's at, right? Where the rubber meets the road. Like you mentioned, where the rubber meets the road as far as with the practice, but um, this is where it meets the road with our life because this is where the suffering is rising, right? How are we meeting that suffering? And this is the point where it does our awareness, does our loving, non-judgmental, compassionate awareness, can it stay strong while it's meeting this? Or... Does that which is arising within it, does it snuff it out, right? So we get caught up in our thoughts and emotions, right? We become them, right? We become the anger. Or do we notice that anger is arising within us? And so we can still hold compassion, and we can still hold this, look at this anger arising within me. But I think the, the main point to emphasize, which we're all saying, is that in no way does this mean non-action. In, in no way whatsoever compassion is not non-action at all, right? The wisdom of that, it's just, it's just not wise, right? To sit back and watch something happen. Um, near, nor is it wise to get so caught up that we lose resilience. Because the, one, the best way to get beat down is to get so caught up in the emotion, and if you see a failure, right, then you're, you're not resilient anymore, right? 
So we need to be strong and we need to be, um, we need to have action and compassion and wisdom, all those things uh, kind of build us up to this resilient and resilient kind being that we want to be. So let, maybe let's just sit for a moment. Maybe let's just dedicate our practice thinking of all the love and wisdom and kindness, insights, and taking all of the the more charged emotions as well that we all share, all beings. And just seeing if we could hold this in a way of equanimity for a couple moments. allowing to arise in our awareness the fact of interdependence no matter how we feel about each other we share the same water the same earth the same air the same space in homes and working environments there's no way around that so setting the intention that all beings everywhere without exception can experience equanimity, that their hearts and minds are at ease, filled with love and compassion. May all beings be happy and free from suffering. Om Mani Padme Om. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.